Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 185 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is Chris coming to you from Austin, Texas. I hope everybody's hanging in there. It's been a pretty intense last couple of months. Obviously, we have the pandemic still very ever present and affecting all of us in very real ways. Plus, a week ago, Monday, we had the tragic death of George Floyd at the hands of police officers, which has bubbled up a motion across the country that has led to both peaceful protests and some violence this past weekend to to try to make a difference in in this very tragic situation. And I must say it's all very sad and overwhelming. And personally I feel helplessness and hopelessness at times and I know that's only a small fraction of the helplessness and hopelessness that people of color and especially black people are feeling right now and it makes me sad and and sick to my stomach and it it leaves me honestly at a loss for words because right now I feel like words aren't enough that we need action to really, really change the systemic and structural forms of racism in this country that, by the way, also spill over into implicit biases that really we all carry with us in some way. And so it's hard to know what to say, and I shared this analogy on a video that I put out to our Rogue Nation community this morning, but the analogy that I think best captures how I'm feeling is this idea of going to the funeral of someone or going to a funeral where someone has lost someone close to them and maybe you don't know the person who died, but you know their loved one there who has experienced that loss And you go to that funeral to be there and be present. Knowing that you can't feel sadness the same way they're feeling it. Knowing that you can't grieve the same way that they're grieving. But you feel some of that sadness and some of that grief. And then when you go up to that person at that funeral, oftentimes you don't know what to say. It's hard to put together the words because you know that words aren't enough to bring that back that person they lost and that's kind of how I feel in this situation I'm feeling for sure I'm sad I feel the hopelessness but I can't feel it the same way that black people are feeling it that people of color are feeling it and so what can I do well I can show up I can be present I can say, I see you, I love you, and then I can go to work on my biases. I can go to work in having conversations with others about their biases, both both explicit and implicit. For me, that meant having conversations this weekend with my kids, with my wife, with those close to me, with spending some time holding a mirror up to myself 
to try to figure out where those biases might be embedded within me in ways that I don't recognize. And by the way, if you haven't listened to episode 162 I did with Alex, she did, I think, a great job of helping me see some of those implicit biases in me as we talked in that episode about running and racism associated with the Ahmad Arbery case. And it's so tragic that here we are having similar conversations about a yet another black man dying in a senseless and tragic murder situation. And again, it's hard to know what to say. I don't have answers but I can tell you that I'm committed to not just speaking, I'm committed to action and finding out those ways that I can help make a difference without beyond just the words. And I'll share a link in the show notes today for from a source that gives people places to turn, to take action, not only ways they can donate, but other ways they can voice their outrage over this situation so take a look at that in the show notes and I would also encourage you if you haven't already listened to that episode 162 and let it be a mirror for you but again more than anything I feel sad I feel helpless I feel hopeless but I can say I'm here and I see you those that experience these tragedies and and I'm present and I'm committed to action and not just words. So I know that's not much to give. I know that's not anywhere near the consolation or the justice required in this situation, but I feel like I couldn't start this episode without talking about it at least. And sharing a little bit of what I'm feeling. So, had to start there. I've got a couple of other things quickly to chat about. And then I'm going to jump into my episode today where I want to talk about the concept of fatigue. Fatigue. And how to know the difference between good fatigue, that fatigue you're supposed to feel in training, and what is bad fatigue. And that cumulative fatigue that starts to become a problem that eventually leads to potential overtraining. So that's our main topic today. Before we get there, I have to talk about the announcement from the BAA, the Boston Athletic Association, about the Boston Marathon. Of course, they announced last week that they're going to be shifting the Boston Marathon that was scheduled in September to a virtual race. That part of the announcement didn't surprise me, at least that the citizens race would be virtual. I was surprised by a few things. One, that they hadn't announced some sort of ceremonial race, whether it be elite only or a race in some other fashion like they did in World War One. And I suppose there's still room for that to happen. But I was surprised that, it, that we didn't have a picture of what that might look like yet. And again, I'm still hopeful that something like that will happen so they can still celebrate the Boston Marathon in some way, in some safe way. 
So I was surprised by that. I was also surprised that there was no opportunity to defer for those that are already accepted into the race that everybody essentially gets an opportunity to do it virtually and then has to reapply for next year. Of course, they did announce that the qualifying times taking back now to the fall of 2018, those that got you into the 2020 race are all still valid for when you apply for your 2021 spot. But again, everybody has an opportunity to now apply. So now you have two, essentially two years, maybe not quite two years because obviously 2020 doesn't have the same opportunities as you might have expected, but almost two years worth of qualifiers are now a qual, qual are now trying to apply for one spot, one year's worth of spots in 2021, assuming of course that they don't expand the field size. We don't know yet what that will look like exactly, but if the race is able to happen in 2021, you have to believe that that the buffer zone to get into the race is going to be bigger and it'll be much more difficult to get in, which means that those who might have squeaked in just over the bar might get left out. And so it makes me feel really badly for those that were those first time Boston runners who were getting accepted into the race for the first time, who were going to be able to toe the line in Hopkinton, who can't do it now. And I hope, fingers crossed, that they'll be able to do it in 2021, but we don't know. Not only do we not know because we don't know what the new line will be in terms of getting in via the application, but we also don't even know if they can safely put this race on yet in April. My hunch tells me, my not hunch, but I guess if I were to make a prediction, I think it will happen next spring. I think by that point, we'll have a vaccine and and hopefully be able to get back to normal races or potentially have such ras- rapid testing that you could show your positive or your negative test or your antibody test in order to actually be able to run the race on that day. So I think there's a few different scenarios that will allow that race to happen, but now it's going to be harder to get in. And there will be those that got accepted to 2020 that won't get accepted to 2021. And that's, that's tough. That's tough. And so I feel for all of those runners. And I will say that personally, I, I had previously pre pandemic, plan to run the 2021 Boston as my next marathon. But now I'm not going to be applying because I want to save. I think my time is close to BQ minus 15 or so, somewhere in there, 14 maybe. And I've just decided that I'm not going to take a spot because I want somebody else to have an opportunity to take a spot. You know, I've been there, I've done it three times I've I've been there many other times supporting as a coach I've experienced the Boston experience and while I will definitely be there next April if it happens as a coach I'm not going to take a spot as a runner because I want that spot to go to somebody else and I would encourage anybody who has the ability to qualify and and it happens to be easier for you for whatever reason to make it in and and have plenty of buffer, I would encourage you to also ask yourself that question. You know, if I can, if you're in that spot where you can essentially qualify at any time for whatever reason, and not that you have to give it up, but 
just consider that maybe for 2021 you won't apply so that that can open up a spot for somebody who might be a little bit closer to that qualifying line. But I will say this. The one one thing I'm excited about relative to this virtual Boston, and I talked about this on a podcast that I shared with our podcast training group last Friday, I think there's a special opportunity for this virtual Boston to actually be kind of cool. And of course, you can't recreate the Boston experience. There's nothing like towing the line in Hopkinton or passing that finish line on Boylston. But if there is ever a race where you could have a meaningful virtual experience because of the collective energy that that race brings across the country and potentially having people compete in virtual Bostons all over, all over the country and potentially all over the world could be something that's really powerful. And I can tell you this, that for us in, in, at Rogan in Austin, we typically have 50 to 60 athletes that end up going to Boston each year. And we always do a Boston simulator long run for them about four weeks out. That typically is 20 to 22 miles because of our terrain in Austin. That's hilly. And because if you go north to south, you can create a a point to point long run experience that is net downhill, but has plenty of rollers in between. Because of that, we could do it for a 22 to 22 mile run. I think we can recreate a route that's 26.2 miles that would mimic the Boston course. And with only 50 to 60 people out there doing it on a Saturday or Sunday morning, then I think we create a safe virtual Boston that everybody can enjoy and experience. And so I'm excited about the prospect of people putting together their own Bostons and sharing that experience collectively during that window in September. And I think if any race can create something palpable from a virtual experience that is a marathon distance, it's the Boston Marathon. So I'm excited about that part. And I think there's an opportunity for everybody in their own communities to be thinking about that or even within their own little run crew, be thinking about that and how they could potentially make something cool and contribute to this national and potentially international energy that will be behind this virtual Boston. So to me, that's something to think about. And I know a lot of people are asking themselves the question, what should I do now? If I was, if I was training for Boston, what should I do now? And my answer to that is maybe surprising, but I would tell you to do nothing right now. I would encourage everybody who had Boston pulled from them to just sit on it for a couple of weeks. I would assume that you've already experienced some anger, some frustration, some grief in some form of losing that opportunity. And certainly you shouldn't run away from those feelings. You got to feel them. So do it, feel them. But don't make any drastic decisions coming out of that. Because I think you have this opportunity to let things sink in over the next few weeks and just see where your heart is leading you in terms of that potential next goal. Because you have options. One option would be to stay the course and train for a virtual Boston Marathon and figure out a way to put it on in your area. Maybe get some running friends to help you do it and go make that your A race, 26.2 miles somewhere in your hometown to run this virtual Boston and make that an A race where you could do something pretty cool. That's an option. Another option would be to pivot, maybe look at 
a marathon later in the year that could more likely happen. You know, we're sending a bunch of rogues to the California International Marathon, which has a worry-free guarantee policy where if you sign up and they end up canceling or postponing the race, you can then transfer that without cost to one of the next three years worth of California International Marathons. And so you could potentially pivot and just push the race back or you could pivot and focus on something shorter. Go go work on a speed track, for example, and potentially train for a local 5K, which I think are more likely to happen in the fall. Or, of course, with with that not happening, a virtual 5K, which I've, I've found actually has been pretty fun, as I've done two this month in May, as someone who typically has not done a lot of 5Ks through the years. So you could pivot to a speed track either way. Give yourself a couple of weeks to think about it. Two more weeks, three more weeks of marathon training isn't going to be a bad thing for you. And that'll give you more time to let cooler heads prevail. Figure out where your mind and your heart are leading you in terms of what that goal could look like for the fall. And then make your decision. Then shift over to something else. Because again, no matter what, no matter what happens with fall races, the work matters. As Kara talked about, as Alphine Steph and Kellen talked about the work still matters. It stays with you and we're going to find a way, I promise, to to put that work to the test with something in the fall, even if it's a virtual race. So give yourself some time to sort through those options. And then once you figure it out, once you figure out where the mind and heart are leading you, then make that shift, whether it be to go for that A race in a virtual Boston to push back to a later race or potentially just pivot and get ready to, to run fast in a 5K or 10K distance, which you can always do virtually. So that those are some comments. I, will, I do want to commend the BAA for making this decision relatively early. I, I can't imagine what they went through in terms of thinking through that process. I also commend them for offering full refunds to everybody. And even though you're getting a full refund, if you finish that virtual race under six hours, then you're going to get a shirt, a, a medal, and have an opportunity to be in that that Boston Marathon finisher's book. And that's pretty cool to give you a full refund, but to still offer that swag. That's a big deal, I think, for a race that like Boston that has the resources that it has. So my hat goes off to them and... Certainly my heart goes out to them too as they now have to figure out how to manage the registration process for 2021 that will be coming in September with all the uncertainty that still exists about when races of that size and magnitude can happen again. So those are some thoughts on Boston. Again, my heart goes out also to those that had that taken away from them, especially those first timers who were going to be able to toe the line for the first time. I know I coached some of them and that's just, it does truly break my heart that you won't get that opportunity, but I will say, stay the course, keep working. You will get that opportunity again. All right. That's all I wanted to cover to start. Thanks for your patience with me in, in some of that messaging. Let's talk about this idea of fatigue, fatigue, because I think one of the most important elements of training is determining when to push and when to back off and recover. And and that requires 
you to listen and read your body in a way that can be pretty nuanced, that requires experience, that requires you to make some mistakes potentially in pushing too hard in a given moment to bury yourself at times so that you learn not to do that again. And so it's, it's a tricky thing and a fine line we're trying to walk, especially as programming progresses in towards a peak. It is hard to know what's too much and when you need to back off. And so I wanted to talk about that concept because the truth is fatigue, especially if you're training for the distances, especially the half marathon and the marathon, the fatigue is a part of the process. It's a part of that process. And while I've seen some people say, well, you know, you should be you know, falling asleep in your cereal in the morning, waking up during marathon training. While I don't prescribe to that perspective, I think you should feel better than that during marathon training. At some level, you're supposed to be tired. You're supposed to feel fatigue. You're supposed to occasionally have those muscles that say, no, I don't want to go today. Because that means you're riding that line of tearing the body down in the right amount so that you can build yourself up in the right amount to reach a peak that you may not have thought possible. And so it requires, again, learning your body, learning the cues, and learning how to decide what kind of fatigue is good fatigue and what kind of fatigue is bad fatigue. And so first, I just want to talk about the defini- some definitions. I want to talk about what I'm going to categorize as three different types of fatigue. And somebody else may choose to do this differently, but this is the way I've been talking about it recently with my athletes. I'm going to talk about three different kinds of fatigue, how to identify them, what it means, whether or not it's good or bad fatigue, and then how you might either manage or work through that type of fatigue. And this episode, I think, will pair well for those who listen to it with my episode 181, where I talked about navigating a running funk. But this is going to be largely focused on that non-running funk type of fatigue. So we're going to talk about three, t- three types of fatigue. There's non-cumulative fatigue. There's cumulative fatigue. And then there's fatigue that goes to the point of overtraining. So let's break down each one of those. Let's start with non-cumulative fatigue. So non-cumulative fatigue is the kind of fatigue that comes from one run or one workout. So this is the type of fatigue that comes after maybe a hard track workout that might lead you to being sore or tired that next day. This is the type of fatigue that doesn't linger that might be there for that next day, but then you're able to work through it by getting out on a recovery run, taking it super easy on that active rest the next day, and then getting that done and feeling pretty good again. Earlier in a training cycle is where you should mostly be feeling non-cumulative fatigue. This is in the priming phase. Some people might call it a base phase where you're building those mileage, those miles, where the workouts are a little bit less intense, where maybe you're not doing the really long race specific work that might come later in a cycle. 
primarily early in the cycle, and for many of you that might be now, for those gearing up for fall races, you should be feeling mostly non-cumulative fatigue. It's, again, sore muscles, that being a little bit tired the next day, that fatigue that makes you feel a little bit of a funk maybe in the first 10 minutes of that next day's run, but one that by the time you get going and get warmed up, you start to feel good again. That's good fatigue. That's good fatigue. It's fatigue that should be something you experience after a hard workout or a long run. It means you've done the work, and it also means it's time to go easy the next day and do that active recovery as I talked about. If you're not experiencing any fatigue that, and you're looking to build towards some sort of peak, that could be a sign that you're not pushing hard enough. If things are a little too easy, then you're not pushing hard enough. And non-cumulative fatigue could also be exacerbated by other variables, other factors, other choices you might make. And not that you shouldn't necessarily make those choices because there's a time and a place for everything. But non-cumulative fatigue could potentially be exacerbated by a lack of sleep, by drinking too much alcohol, by perhaps not hydrating well enough in the day after a workout or a long run. And so there are variables that could make it better or worse. But again, it should all still fall into this category of something that is with you for essentially a day, maybe at the maximum two days, and then fades away, assuming you're managing your recovery running easily enough. And a good sign of a good recovery run is if you feel better when you finish than when you start. That means you started that run with the right amount of non-cumulative fatigue and that run helped you work through it and you took it easy enough to work through that non-cumulative fatigue so that by the time you got done with the run you felt better and that's a sign that not only did you have the right amount of non-cumulative fatigue but you also managed to recover from it in the right way so that's the first type of fatigue second type of fatigue is what i call cumulative fatigue This is the kind of fatigue that builds through a training cycle, but is still generally characterized as good fatigue. And so for this, I quote a one of the Brooks Hansen's coaches, and he says, when fatigue is coming from the culmination of training and not from one specific aspect, the athlete is fatigued, but still able to run strong and not dipped past the point of no return. The end result is that the runner becomes very strong, fit, and able to withstand the physical and mental demands of the marathon or half marathon distance. So this is also a part of fatigue. And typically this is the type of, the, of, of this fatigue that you'll feel a little bit building as your training program progresses. And you'll feel the most acute when you're in that peaking phase of training, when you're really focused on the longer race pace specific efforts because what we're trying to do, especially when training for a half marathon or a marathon is build not only muscular resilience, but also aerobic endurance so that you can build your ability to still run fast and strong on tired leg, tired legs at the end of a long distance race. So what we want to do is not only build that fatigue so that you feel it, and learn to work through it, but also so that you have to ultimately do runs and workouts on that ever-increasing cumulative fatigue 
so that you learn to run on tired legs. I mean, that's the magic of the end, the close of a half marathon or a marathon is being able to finish even on tired legs. It's being able to hold or increase the pace even as those legs tell you no. So that may mean that you have some imperfect workouts because of cumulative fatigue. Most of your workouts should still be going well in spite of that cumulative fatigue, but you will find that some of those workouts just don't go that well, or maybe they're really hard and you have to fight mentally and physically at the end of the workout to really keep it together. And that is okay, even if you're imperfect, because that's where really the magic of prepping for a half marathon or marathon lies. And I often say to my runners, in many ways, I like it better when you have bad long run workouts potentially in practice leading up to a race because it allows you to work through those issues in practice before you actually have to do it. And it requires you not only to work on the muscular side of that equation as well as the aerobic side of that equation, but also the mental side of that equation of dealing with mentally running on tired legs and still making it work, still finding those extra gears, that extra something inside of you to keep going and to hold pace. So cumulative fatigue is a part of the process. Again, it's the good fatigue that makes those legs tired late in a marathon cycle. But you have to be smart about and recognize when you should be feeling that. You know, it has its, that cumulative fatigue element has its primary place in your race-specific training block, which you should feel mostly for a marathon three to about six, seven weeks out from your target race. So really in that final four weeks before the taper and for a half marathon, probably in the two to four weeks out before the taper or before the race, because you'd have something like a two week taper for a half marathon. So, so that's something to keep in mind. It has a specific place in your training. It's not something you should be feeling the entire training cycle. And if you're feeling that cumulative fatigue, and again, this is that fatigue that is in your legs that doesn't really go away, that you're kind of feeling, and it's a low level of funk. It's a low level of funk that you're kind of always feeling in those late parts of a cycle. But you have to be able to differentiate as to when that's productive to have and to feel Versus when it is either too early or maybe too much. Because if it becomes too much, then you've tipped over the line. You've ceased riding the fine line. You've tipped over the line and you've fallen into the place that we call overtraining. Which is when you have fatigue that starts to linger. And starts to affect every single run and workout. To the point where not just one run is bad but a week's worth of runs are bad. And in spite of the fact that you're making adjustments, maybe trying to slow down, maybe trying to get a little extra sleep, maybe trying to hydrate or fuel properly, in spite of doing all the right things, you're still feeling that funk. And that funk that that lingers is really the overtraining element that requires a bigger intervention. And that's when I would turn you to that other episode, episode 181, 
where I talked about navigating a running funk and I talked about the questions you should be asking yourself in those situations because if you continue to try to train rigorously when you're in that place of overtraining, then you're only going to dig a deeper hole which can create things like an overtraining syndrome that might take 12 to 18 months to actually work through. You don't want to bury yourself that deep. And so you have to know at what point have I gone too far? At what point have I finished or have I pressed too much? And it's hard to know that line, especially for those that are relatively new to distance training. So let me give you some things to think about relative to that line. So again, non-cumulative fatigue, something that goes away in 24 to 48 hours. Cumulative fatigue, something that lingers, but that doesn't allow you to have, or that allows you to have the occasional bad workout, but doesn't allow you to consistently have bad workouts or doesn't require you to consistently have bad workouts. Overtraining is when even though you're feeling that fatigue, you can't seem to muster up something to have a good workout. And you start to put together not just days, but weeks of bad runs, bad workouts where you think, where you're thinking in your head, what's wrong with me? Why can't I do this? And you're not just thinking it once, but day after day. And I would say that if you go more than 10 days, feeling that way, then you've probably crossed a line in your training. Could even be seven days, but say seven to 10 days. If you go more than seven to 10 days where you just feel that funk, it could mean you've crossed a line. And if you recognize it at that point, then you should be able to pull yourself back to the productive cumulative fatigue point. But you have to have an acute intervention, which I'll talk about in a second. But again, step one is understanding these types of fatigues and how they might feel and manifest in your training, and then being able to adapt and recognize how to manage them, especially when you get to that overtraining place. So let's talk about, for a second, managing each one of these things. So I want to drill down in just a little bit more detail on each one of these things. Again, non-cumulative fatigue, that short-term soreness, that short-term tiredness that you might feel on a run the day after a quality workout or a long run. What do you do to manage non-cumulative fatigue? That's where your actions after a quality workout or a long run become really important. Because yes, no matter what, if you've worked hard, you should feel something the next day. And maybe even two days after that. But there are things you can do to manage that non-cumulative fatigue so it doesn't itself compound in a way that's unnecessary. What are those things? One, especially now as the heat and humidity rises, hydration, staying properly hydrated throughout the day. Your daily hydration is probably more important than your in-run hydration. 
it's at least as important as your in-run hydration. So making sure that after a quality workout or a long run, especially on a warm day, that you get back to urinating normally with very faintly colored urine, light, very faintly colored light yellow urine after a hard effort is a critical step. So get back, get rehydrated, ideally with electrolytes. One of the things I was talking about also on one of our podcast training episodes with Jason Brooks, the base training program, I was talking about how I had a visit last week with the with Dr. Moose, who who has been on the show before and had took part in our Human Performance Project episodes. Had him on, went to see him last week. I was feeling a little bit of dead leggedness that had lingered, and. And so he identified through a a little test that he does an electrolyte deficiency that I had relative to potassium. And so I'd had enough sodium chloride, I had enough magnesium chloride, but I didn't have enough potassium chloride in my system in order to properly stay hydrated. Electrolytes, that's the magic that gets the the blood from the bloodstream into your cells so that that water can be used for respiration. Well, if that's... If those electrolytes aren't properly balanced, then the inside of those cells isn't getting getting the water that it needs, so you might feel some funk. So managing non-cumulative fatigue, hydrate well after your workout, refuel after your workout. And there's a window that is that is tighter, I'm learning, for women. They should really be refueling with a balanced carb-fat protein meal. 30 to 45 minutes after exercise. Men have a little longer window, but I would say you don't want to wait more than an hour and a half post long run or post workout to refuel with a balanced meal that includes carbs, fat, and protein. There's certain ratios there. If you really want to get specific about it, personally, I don't worry so much about that. I just want to get a balanced meal that has carbs, fat, and protein. If you do that, that helps, again, start to refuel the body, replenish the glycogen stores, and give you the building blocks you need to deal with recovery. So hydrate, eat well, sleep well. That's the third thing. We've talked about it a lot. I won't belabor that point. But if you're going to prioritize sleep, certainly if you can't prioritize it all the time, the day or night after a long run or quality workout is going to be a time to prioritize it. Or if you can snag a nap post long run, that's going to be beneficial because when you sleep, your body goes into ultra repair mode, not only physically, but also it works with your brain as well. And so sleep is critical in that time. Fourth thing I'll mention is movement. Movement equals blood flow equals healing. So moving around during the day after a long run or workout is a critical step to manage non-cumulative fatigue because movement creates blood flow. Blood flow creates healing in those muscles. And so what I've found through the years, especially having to manage kids post long run on a Saturday is that if I move around a little bit, again, gentle movement, nothing intense or high impact, then I'm, I feel better the next day. Hydrate, fuel, sleep, move. 
Those are my form. Those are my four key elements for managing non-cumulative fatigue. And then, of course, when you go into that run, the next day, that recovery run, that active rest. Again, remember, motion is lotion. Movement equals blood flow equals healing. So you've done your movement on the day, which helps prime the body, so that when you go do that next run, that recovery run, you can do it in a way that also promotes healing by keeping it super easy, super mellow, which for me means a pace that is at least two minutes slower, often more than my target marathon pace or two and a half minutes slower than my target half marathon pace. And I've heard this many times from people that they can't go that slow, but I promise you, you can, you can, if you just focus on it. And if it means you need to do a vigorous walk, especially at the beginning of that next day's run, then that's what it means. Do that. That's what your body needs. And again, if you do all those things, plus take that run easy enough, then you should feel better when you finish and that non-cumulative fatigue should have been dissipated. If it's not, then you've done something wrong in that time between the hard workout or long run and that recovery run the next day. So that's managing non-cumulative fatigue. Managing cumulative fatigue. Part of managing cumulative fatigue is recognizing it, understanding it. And also understanding that it should be finite. You know, if you're experiencing cumulative fatigue year-round as someone who trains year-round, then you're doing something wrong because we have to have those windows where we allow our body to fully recover, where we get away from the non-cumulative fatigue. And so really there should only be windows of time that are about four weeks in length, heavy in a training cycle, again, about three to seven weeks out from your target marathon or two to four weeks out from your target half, these small windows where you're feeling that cumulative fatigue, where it feels like you're more tired than normal. Each run, you kind of go in with a a tiny sense of, of dread because the muscles just aren't feeling that spry, but you go do the work anyway. And yes, occasionally you have a bad workout, a bad run, But for the most part, you're still able to rally and fight through that cumulative fatigue and still have a good outcome in that that runner workout. That's the type of fatigue we're talking about. But again, it should have a, a narrow window in your life. And if you're training in a way like we train, where you really should be shooting for two to three peaks a year, peak races, doesn't mean you can't race more, but you're really shooting for two to three peak races a year. And you're really only looking at potentially 8 to 12 weeks of the year if you're training for marathons or potentially 2 to 4 weeks a year training for a half or some version in between if you're training for both or you're feeling this. And, and this is the time when you're feeling that cumulative fatigue where you have to not only do all the things that I talked about to address non-cumulative fatigue, but you also have to be smart about your choices beyond that. And again, I'm a huge fan of everything in moderation, but when you get into these tight windows, when you're aiming for a peak race, then I think you have to, to change and make some bigger lifestyle choices that allow your body to really focus on 
recovery during the time of cumulative fatigue so that you are able to rally when it matters to execute those tough workouts. And so certainly that looks like potentially amping up some of the elements I talked about before, but it also means potentially making some other choices in your life where you might, for example, restructure your life to get a little bit more sleep. Maybe you like to go out with friends on Friday for dinner before your Saturday long run. And that might mean that you get to bed a little bit later before you go do that long run. And maybe this is a short window of time where you decide to opt out of that for those two to four weeks so that you can get a little bit of extra sleep, maybe go to bed an hour or two hours earlier, or maybe as a part of making that choice, also make the choice to, to not indulge in alcohol or potentially indulge in food that, that might not fuel you properly during that time. Again, I'm not, I'm not saying that those have to be your choices. I'm just giving examples. And I'm also not saying you have to cut those things out, but you have to start to tighten up your choices a little bit in that window of peaking when you're feeling that cumulative fatigue so that you can invest every little extra piece of energy into the quality work and the long run work, especially that you're doing during that time. So managing cumulative fatigue becomes about making bigger choices, not only about how much you might drink, but how much you might indulge in non in processed foods, for example, how much you might indulge in things that might be inflammatory from a food or beverage perspective. And also you have to look at other activities in your life. And this may not be the time to, to start gardening or to pick up hobbies outside of running. There's a time and a place for that. But in that peaking phase, when you're feeling that cumulative fatigue, you don't want to add other variables to the equation and, and, and again, I'm not telling you to not have fun or to not occasionally let loose. I'm just saying that in that window, on the margin, you want to choose to conserve. Choose to conserve energy by not adding superfluous things in your world and at that time. And you may also want to have a conversation with your partner, your spouse, your family, your friends to say, hey, I'm in this window where I'm focused a little bit more than normal and I may be not making the same choices. And I want you to please understand that here's why I'm doing it. I'm doing it for this goal in mind. And I promise you, the friends and family that are true will understand that. And again, we're not talking about a big window. We're not talking about year round. We're talking about a short window, two to four weeks potentially in a half to marathon training cycle where you might need to batten down the hatches, so to speak, on that, on those types of decisions. This is also a time when you're managing cumulative fatigue to try to manage the mental side of the equation and to limit mental fatigue, limit stress, limit things that will add complexity to your life or anxiety to your life. And that's going to look a little bit differently for everybody. But this will be a time to execute what I've talked about previously on the podcast as that stress management audit or you might look at the stresses in your life outside of running and try to pick the, the top two and then figure out ways to manage those stresses to take away what might be burden you, burdening you mentally during the time of cumulative fatigue. So you're not piling onto your body during a time when you're already stressing it. 
to the limits from a training perspective. So that's managing cumulative fatigue. And again, what you should be feeling with that cumulative fatigue is that, yeah, you have this lingering tiredness, sometimes this lingering flat leg syndrome, but for the most part, you're still able to rally through it. And even though it may not be perfect, have, have good workouts, have success on runs, get through them and feel pretty good about it. And yeah, occasionally you might have a one-off bad day where everything falls apart. That's normal. But what you don't want to see is that that, those bad days start to accumulate and become the rule rather than the exception. And when they become the rule rather than the exception, that's when you've crossed the line into overtraining. And it doesn't mean you can't pull it back, but it does mean you got to make some acute changes and, and, and make them quickly in order to, to pull it back and get back to that place of being in that more productive cumulative fatigue. So what does that look like? Again, first of all, it's recognizing that overtraining where if you just have bad runs that last more than seven days or more than 10 days, it's a sign that something's wrong. And so then you want to start to ask yourself some basic questions. I lay that out a lot, or I lay a lot of those out in episode 181, but I'll cover them here again. It's questions like, am I running too fast all the time? Do I need to be slowing down on my recovery runs? Am I getting enough sleep? Have I somehow pushed the limit on mileage or intensity in a way that wasn't prescribed in the program? Is there additional stress in my life that has accumulated to the point to push me over the edge from a running perspective? Are you managing your down weeks appropriately? In other words, are you having those up cycles as well as down cycles so that you can balance the stress and the rest in a way that doesn't push you into the point of bad fatigue. And if all of those questions seem okay, then you may have to ask yourself, are my blood values normal? Or is there some underlying blood value issue that might be something like anemia, for example, that could be causing me to feel this way? Sometimes it's not in your head. Sometimes it's not in your control. Sometimes it's, it's, in, it's an underlying physical issue that you have to address in other ways. And so getting those blood values checked, I think in a time where you might be feeling overtraining effect is important. And so you have to ask yourself those questions and then make an adjustment. And I would say that also this is a time potentially where you want to maybe just take three or four days completely off. And instead of running, sleep. Instead of spending the extra time out on the roads, do some of the things that I talked about, like going to the doctor to get, to get your blood values checked. And so this is a time to give yourself a little pause, allow your body through that pause to potentially reset itself while potentially identifying and addressing those other issues and questions I just asked so that you can pull yourself out of that situation. There's no way you're losing fitness in three or four days. No way. But if you make that pause and then are able to, through it, reset your place and get to a productive place in training, then you're going to be able to start getting back to that cumulative fatigue where you can build again. But if you keep running through it and if you're worried about losing fitness and you just keep hammering anyway, then that's going to only cause you to dig a bigger hole for yourself. So I would encourage you if you get to that place of overtraining to just take a pause 
evaluate those things I talked about. Give yourself, give your body a chance to breathe, to relax, to in an acute way absorb the effects of the training that you've been putting on it. And if you do that early enough so that you're not digging too deep, deep a hole, then you should be able to pull yourself out of it relatively quickly and then get back into productive cumulative fatigue oriented training again. So that's something to think about if you get to that point, because if you don't, and if you keep going through that, and if you keep pressing no matter what, then you could dig a deeper hole that again might require 12 to 18 months to get out of. And that's something obviously everybody wants to avoid. But if you, if you do get to that place, then that's a point where you do have to dramatically back off of training, maybe even quit training for six to eight weeks so the body can completely reset while you're also consulting with a doctor, making sure you're getting your blood values reset and things like that. That's the type of intervention that might be required if you push this thing too far. And so instead, I prefer that short intervention. Again, if you're feeling that seven to 10 days of just everything hurts, everything's too hard, nothing's going well, then take that pause, reevaluate, give yourself three to four days completely off, ask yourself those questions, maybe go to the doctor, get your blood values checked. If you do that, it might give you that reset you needed in order to pull back into productive training. So those are things to think about. And again, as I said at the top, this is all a learning process. You know, personally, as someone who's been doing this for 20 years, I'm still learning. I'm still learning, as I told you. You know, Moose identified an electrolyte imbalance issue that I didn't know I had related to potassium, which I'm now supplementing for a short window to kind of get my leg, my leg to feel sharp and springy again. And that's, I can tell you, I'm already feeling pretty good. And sure, maybe it's placebo effect. I don't know. But, um, but it seems to be working so far after about a week of supplementing there and that's helping me. But it was, it was me recognizing that that flat leg feeling had been lingering a little bit too long and then raising that question to somebody who could help me look at that issue and figure out what might be going on. And I did that, got an intervention that I was able to implement without affecting my training. But these are the things you have to learn is to listen to your body. And if it's telling you something, and it is telling you something all the time, every single time you step out the door for a run, then you have to listen. And if you listen, then it'll help you get the most out of your training. So figure out what it means to have non-cumulative fatigue. That's the really good type of fatigue that doesn't last that long. The cumulative fatigue, that fatigue you feel in those peaking windows just before your target race, the, the good kind that... Even though it's there, you still fight through and still finish strong in workouts versus that overtraining effect where you've gone too far, you've crossed over the line to a point that is no longer productive to keep training because if you do, it's only digging a deeper hole. If you can recognize those stages, then you're going to put yourself in a position and, and by the way, how to manage those three stages, then you're going to put yourself in a position to be better, faster, stronger down the road 
And just remember that just like everything, learning is a process and you're going to make mistakes. But just because you're making mistakes doesn't mean you should compound those mistakes. I often see runners do that where they think, well, I'm already here in this bad place, so I'm just going to keep doing it the way I'm doing it. No. Pause, stay present, recognize those mistakes, make your adjustments, learn, repeat. That's, that is the beauty of training. And I think if you do that, then you'll notice, you'll start to notice is you notice nuances in how you're feeling that will ultimately cue you into insights later in training that are going to make you faster. One thing to, to recap or to end that I want to talk about is just this idea that all the stuff I'm talking about is hard. It's hard for all of us. It's not easy for me as a coach, as someone who has been training for two decades. It's a constant learning process and that's okay because the journey is where the magic lies and where you learn things about yourself. And I said this in an email to my group here in Austin last week. I said, running is a pathway to truth. And if you'll allow yourself to be tested through the journey of getting faster towards a goal, then you're going to discover things about yourself that will make you a better human. And that comes when you're challenged. That comes when you're tired and you're working through that. Or that comes when you recognize you've done something to make yourself too tired and therefore can make adjustments to fix that going forward. So let it not only be, as you listen to your body, let it not only show you the truth about your training, but also the truth about you as a human that will ultimately make you a better human. So with that, Hopefully you've learned how to think about your fatigue, your, your tiredness in a new way this week. I hope everybody is staying safe and well. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Rogue Running, or you can follow me at Rogue Chris on Instagram or Twitter is at Chris McClung. I love you guys. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you next week.